Galatians chapter 2. First of all, let me summarize. Galatians was probably uh, the first book that was written in the New Testament, written between 50 to 60 AD, somewhere in that area. It's written by Paul. When Paul has uh, two-thirds of the New Testament was written by Paul, uh, Pauline literature makes up a lot of the epistles to the churches that he's written to. And Paul is talking to the Galatians. He's written this to the church of Galatia, to the churches in Galatia. This is a region. There's probably uh, several churches that are receiving this letter in the region of Galatia. And Galatia is known for their fickleness. In other words, uh, following one and then following another and following another, so to speak, and whoever makes the best sense at the time. But Paul goes in on his first missionary journey, and he's there in Galatia, and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are transformed. Their lives have changed. He stays there a while, starts many churches, and the church is doing well. But there's other people that's following him that are really sympathetic to the uh, Judaism and how Judaism is to be applied. For, for example, Christianity was at first thought, it was just a form of Judaism that just ex, uh, received Christ and accepted Christ as the Messiah. But see, Christ did not come to add to Judaism. Christ came that he would set us free and we would understand and know God in the fullness of it. Not to be a better Jew, but to be a better child of God. That's what Jesus came to do, to, for us to be redeemed, for us to have fellowship with God himself. And so Paul now has, has heard that the Galatian church has fallen victim to legalizers or people that's trying to tell them, hey, to be a Christian, you need to be circumcised. To be a Christian, you must obey the law. To be a Christian, you must do this or you must do that. But we know very clearly that it says in John that if you believe in Jesus Christ with your heart and you confess with a mouth, thou shalt be saved. Salvation comes from believing in the heart and confessing. In other words, the power of life and death lies within the tongue by the way. We speak whatever is real to us and whatever is life to us. So confession was the power of speaking and the proclamation that Jesus Christ is our Lord. That leads to salvation, trusting, believing, and confessing with the heart. Now, the Judaizers were saying, that's well and good, that's fine, but here you also need to be circumcised. Oh, by the way, and you must live by the law, and you must dress in a certain way, and you must eat in a certain way. You must do certain things. And Paul was saying, what? Are you kidding me? Come on. Jesus fulfilled the law. He did everything on the cross that needs to be done. Now, we live our lives in accountability to Christ and to God, yeah, but you don't do this to be saved. You don't do this to be a part of the church. You do this out of obedience and love to God who redeemed you. Remember, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my, keep my commands. So it's not keeping the commands that gets us into heaven, so to speak, that saves our soul. It's believing in our hearts and confessing with the mouth. But we follow the commands of Christ because we love him. And God, through Jesus, gave us commands not to control us, 
but that we through these actions and keeping these commands understand that it brings fruit fruit and righteousness to our lives. It brings things that we desire, but we know not how to get. When we live in obedience to God and what he's called us to do. The first part of Galatians, we talked about the temptation to go back to the familiar. That, that sin that kind of has ensnared us. That stuff that is is. It brings uncomfortableness and dysfunction in our life and it brings destruction in our life. But because it's familiar to us, we run back to us because we're so afraid. Everybody say afraid. We're so afraid of the unknown that we'll go back to the dysfunctional because it's not as scary as the opportunities or the possibilities that God may have for us. Are you listening to me? So the familiar cries for us. The familiar beckons us back because it's familiar. And we talked about that. We can't go back to the familiar. We must press toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ in the opportunity that God is placing before us as we live our lives. The second week, we talked about we are people that should invest in other people. And we ask the question, who has come to you lately and say, I thank God for you and your life? How have we invested ourselves in others that people would be grateful for the investment that you are placing in them that they would actually acknowledge you have been faithful? And if you're not, and no one has, why not? Maybe it's because we're not investing in others. Maybe we're not doing things for others as we would have them do unto us. Maybe we're not keeping the commands of God that says that we're to love the Lord thy God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we're loved to, to love our neighbors like ourselves. In other words, we're not loving God, loving others, and serving. Because if we were, I guarantee you there would be people that come to you and say, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. So maybe we should be asking why. And then the third, last week, we were asked the question, who are you listening to? Because who you listen to, it will carve the path that you will go. Who you listen to and fill your mind with and fill your spirit with and fill your heart with will dictate how you trod, how you go, where you go. So it's be, we should be very careful about who we're listening to. Are we listening to Facebook? Are we listening to the world? Are we listening to the internet? Are we listening to the Spirit of God, that still small voice that speaks to us when we take time and we meditate and we pray and just talk to God? Who are we listening to? Today we're picking up in verse 11 in chapter 2 and we're going to be talking about hypocrisy. Nobody in here is a hypocrite, right? We're going to be talking about that. Verse 11, chapter 2. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul speaking now. And he's at the, in Jerusalem, he's ta- or Antioch, and he's seeing the apostles, and they're coming together, all right? And he says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came, uh, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid. Say afraid. He was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. 
The other Jews joined him in hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, who was, by the way, with Paul, and they were traveling together in a lot of different ways, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth are not Gentile sinners. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Say by faith. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one would be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroy, I prove, that, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For though the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ then died for nothing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We pray this morning that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? <laughs> Actually, we could just have a prayer and be dismissed. I think conviction has been pretty well set across the board, right? Okay. Here was Peter. Peter was this apostle that Jesus said that upon this rock, remember his name was Simon. His name was cha changed after he revealed, the Spirit of God revealed to him that Jesus was the Son of the Most High God. And Jesus in response said, upon this rock, he changed his name to Petros, which means rock. He said, upon Petros, this rock, I will build my church. This is the guy that Jesus illuminated and exalted or lifted up in the midst of him. Not because of Peter's greatness. We'll see in a minute that he was not. He was human just like all of us. But because of the power of the revelation of the Spirit of God that was in his life and he was willing to obey it, recognize it, and speak it forth, Jesus said, mm -hmm, this right here, this is what I'm going to build my church on. Not Peter but the revelation and the obedience of the Spirit of God and the obedience of doing what the Spirit says. Then we see Peter at his crucifixion and he goes when he's in prison and three times in the courtyard, what does he do? He denies Christ. Matter of fact, he doesn't just deny Christ. The third time, he uses some sailor language. We didn't use that kind of language even in the army. <laughs> sailor language is tough stuff. Okay, And he denied him even with sailor language. But yet Jesus went back at his resurrection. He came back by the sea, called him to come in. And as they were coming in, 
He said to Peter, he said, do you love me? Oh, he was convicted. Three times he denied him. But three times he said, do you love me, Peter? He says, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. And of course, we know all the teachings that go along with that. And if you're not, we'll, we'll probably teach on that a lot because there's so much to unpack in that one little happening there. But just for now, we understand that Jesus took the fall and he reversed it and he gave him opportunity for repentance and he restored him back. And he became also the leader of the church again, Peter. <clears throat> Here was Peter that John and Peter raced to the tomb and John was in better shape than Peter and he got there first. But John waited outside of the tomb so Peter could go in first because he was recognized as the anointed. Jesus recognized, the apostles recognized and Peter went in and was first in the tomb and recognized that Jesus wasn't there. It was Peter. Peter's the one that got up and proclaimed he said, Jesus Christ, he, at the day of Pentecost, he came out and he preached and stuff. And, and Peter was one to stand before the Sanhedrin. Peter, he was the guy. We all settled on this, right? Peter, he was the guy. He was the guy that Jesus sent the dream to where the food came down that what was unedible and what was undesirable and against the law to even eat the dietary laws. He prepared Peter and saying, you need to understand what I've cleansed is clean. And then the Gentiles came knocking at his door right after that vision and Peter goes to Cornelius' house and the whole household was saved. And then Peter starts living with the Gentiles. He starts preaching with the Gentiles but Peter really wasn't called to the Gentiles. But he was living like the Gentiles. And then when Paul goes to Antioch and Peter comes and then Peter starts doing something that was amazing. He starts when he's with this group, he starts talking this way. And then he, when he's with this group, he starts talking this way. Have y'all ever seen anybody do that? Let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand, don't shake your head, but have you ever been that person? I told you not to do it. <laughs> We've been that people. We've been that person, haven't we? And Paul comes on the scene. When Paul comes on the scene, he looks at Peter because Peter's withdrawing from the Gentiles. Now Peter, I mean Paul, has been called by God to minister to the Gentiles. That was his ministry. And Paul didn't mind Peter ministering to the Gentiles. What he minded was that he was two-faced in the fact that now he was pulling away from the Gentiles and acting like he was something that he was not. You ever acted like something you weren't? How far did that get you? Hmm. Hypocrisy. Here comes Paul. Paul looks at Peter. Hey, what you doing, man? Why are you living this way? Why are you going in the Gentiles and you're living like one thing and you're talking about the grace and the mercy of God and then you get with the Jews and you go back to the old familiar and you act like a Jew again? And you start putting the law or bondage back on people. Well, you gotta be circumcised. You gotta eat this food. You gotta do this. You gotta do that. And you gotta do the other. Not that you would have a fruitful life, but just so you could be called a Christian. This, have this God, this Christ, who's redeemed and sanctified, 
made things whole. Paul calls him on it. Peter hears, he repents, and they're restored. They, they have an understanding. Okay, Peter, you, you speak to the Jews, I'll speak to the Gentiles, and we'll not live hypocritical, but we'll follow the culture in which we're ministering into. And that's not hypocritical. That's just being wise. Here's my point. See, we have this thing in our society nowadays about hypocrisy, and we use hypocrisy as an excuse for us to hold ourselves accountable to righteousness and to what is good. For example, and I know I talk about this every Sunday, I'll be talking about this every Sunday till I die or as long as I fill a pulpit. This is this, that Sunday morning worship is important and we're not to forsake it. Why? Because Jesus said we're not to. Not because it means that we're lost or saved. It has no meaning whatsoever. We've already talked about that, right? It's believing in the heart and confessing with the mouth or denying or rejecting what Jesus did on the cross. That's where salvation comes in. But forsaking the assembly together of the saints robs us of being able to grow our faith and being renewed in our heart and our minds to be out there what we are in here. For hypocrisy doesn't begin when you're put on the spot. Hypocrisy starts when you fail to do the things you need to stay true to who you are and what you're doing. We use hypocrisy as an excuse to keep from the church. I'm not going to that church. Well, that church full of hypocrites. Every church on the planet is full of hypocrites. Every one of them. Because you came to one, don't downgrade it just because you're a hypocrite too. We're all hypocrites. You know, hypocrites is, is somebody that wants to do something but yet does something else. That wants to stand for something yet they stand for nothing. We're all hypocritical in a lot of different phases and different things of our lives. We really are. But what are we doing in our lives to help us to get to the place that we're not so hypocritical, but we're truly authentic believers of Jesus Christ? One of the phenomena that we've got in the world today is to be authentic. We need to be authentic. And we need to be genuine. And genuine and authentic are, are synonymous words if you look them up. But the fact of the matter is they're two different types of meaning. Genuine just means sincere. Authentic can be too. But usually authentic means that you're genuine or you're, you're the, the first origin. In other words, you're original. Who you are. And, and so we've gotten in this society that says, okay, that we're supposed to be authentic about who we are, no matter what else is going on in the world, because you see, we have to be authentic. We have to be just who we are, and everything else can just go to hell in a handbag, okay? Because we're gonna be who we are. I have to be true to myself. Y'all ever heard that? And we've had, you know, it started back in the 70s where people were leaving places and they're going to go find themselves. I never got lost, okay? I, I knew where I was, and if I didn't know where I was, daddy was going to tell me real quick. 
where I was. Scripture calls that a rude awakening, okay? And I got that a lot. So I didn't have to go out and find myself. A lot of people did. And I know there's a true discovery about your uniqueness and oneself and stuff like that. And you don't need to hear what I'm not saying this morning. But it seems like in our society that we have taken this authenticity thing about being genuine to who we are at levels that absolutely are astonishingly alarming and destructive. Because we feel like who we are is more important than what anybody else is. And so we sacrifice everybody else for ourselves. And that's right opposite of what Christ asked us to do. Are you listening to me this morning? You see, if you read on in that scripture, after Paul admonishes Peter, he goes back and he lists the reasons why that he is wrong in what he's doing. And one of the sections said, and, and understand this, the reason, by the way, the reason that Peter did what he did was because he was afraid. Everybody say afraid. How many times do we most often do the wrong thing because we're afraid? In my life, just about every time, okay, if I don't do something or do something because I'm afraid, usually it's wrong. I need to make decisions that are based in soundness and also prayed through and guided by the Holy Spirit that gives me peace inside, okay? As, as a Christian, that's kind of where I need to follow. But this genuineness, this authenticity, it is carried to such a level that we forgot that we are crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah, y'all remember that? Uh, we just read it, right? Not only says it there, it says it Philippians, it says it Matthew, it says it Mark, it says it Luke. All this has a has a defining thread of it that it's no longer us and our will, but it's Christ and Christ will. Hypocrisy comes in the church because we say one thing and we live another. Just like Peter, he was living with the Gentiles, but he was talking to the Jews like he was Jewish. He was, that's all he was cared about, was Jewish people. When I was a kid, I used to paint. I love to paint. And I hate to paint. All at the same time. I love to paint easels and pictures on a canvas. I hate painting barns. Okay. But when I was a kid, I, my love for painting came from what I believe is what my mother did for me. When, my, when I was young, my, whew, I need to run. my mother bought me a paint by the numbers kit. Y'all remember the paint by the numbers? Uh, you young kids probably don't, but some of you old folks probably do. Paint by the numbers. They had all kinds of scenes you could get paint by the numbers. My favorites were bird dogs because we bird hunted a lot when I was a kid and grew up in it and I bird hunted till I was probably 22 years old. Every day, I'd go about an hour and after milking to get through if I didn't have to go to school and me and Champ and Joe, we'd go hunting. That's my dogs. And Paint by the Numbers had a setter and a pointer and Champ was a setter and Joe was a pointer. Champ was a pointing dog that pointed all the, the coveys and the singles and, and Joe was a liver-colored liver uh, uh, setter, uh, a pointer with short hair, and, and he was a retriever. He would, after 
you kill the bird, he would go bring the bird to you, okay? Hunt those out. <laughs> well, I love these paint by the numbers because they reminded me of Champ and Joe. And I'd paint them, I'd paint them, and I'd paint them, and I'd paint them. And when I got through, I would look at it and go, wow, that's beautiful. Just beautiful. But as I looked, mother would always give me different scenes of the dogs either pointing and the other one down and below, or then they were looking over each other. Different scenes of the dogs. Different years. Every Christmas, I got a paint-by-the-numbers dogs. And I noticed year after year, how much prettier those dogs got because I was closer and closer to be able to draw within the lines, to be able to be and do what that picture really should be. It represented the dogs, my heart. I, I love those dogs. We have great artists in the world. Da Vinci was a great artist. Da Vinci painted a, a painting in the 1500s it's called Mona Lisa. Anybody remember Mona Lisa? <laughs> now, come to find out, that's probably, according to research I've read this past week, Mona Lisa is the most famous painting in all the world. Did you know that? Most famous. But she didn't get famous till 1922. Do you know why? Because in 1922, she was stolen out of the Moor, which is the French Museum. And when she was stolen there was, seems to be a crisis and a heightened awareness about the Mona Lisa. What happened to the Mona Lisa? And by the way, Mona Lisa is a real person, okay? And she was commissioned and drawn by da Vinci, but was virtually unfamous. A great painting, but unfamous until there was a crisis that came because it was stolen out of a museum. Most people, most people are more concerned about the artwork of, the, of Le Vinci, Da Vinci because of Da Vinci than they are of the artwork themselves. Why? Because he had a beautiful technique and he made the canvas come to life with whatever subject that he painted. And he was masterful at it. And it was good. There's another famous painter that I love and enjoy too, uh, I, I love, especially at Christmas time. Y'all know who I'm talking about? Paints the, all these light scenes. What's his name? Y'all know? Who? Thank you. I thought you'd know. I love Thomas Kincaid's paintings, don't you? They're beautiful. He, he has a special technique of how he makes light just flood the scene without overtaking it. It becomes just luminous and, and just lifelike. And yet, these pictures, they're different scenes, different settings, and all the settings and scenes are unique. They're all different, but they're wonderful because of the one who painted it and the skill and technique that he used. But every painting... Every portrait, whether it's my dog portrait, whether it's the Mona Lisa, or whether it's Thomas Kincaid, no matter what, the painting was always about the subject. But it became famous because of who painted it. We're a masterpiece that God has created, every, each and every one of us. We're a masterpiece.
because we were created and painted by God himself. We are authentic. Turn to somebody and say, you're authentic. Y'all are doing this lackluster. Y'all don't believe this. You're t- are you hungry? Is that what it is? Am I just not making sense? Is that what it is? What, what, I don't know what it is, but the fact of the matter is you're not convicted about this at all. So won't you just tell somebody that I'm a masterpiece. I know you'll be convicted about that. Look at somebody and say, I'm a masterpiece. You see, we're all fearfully and wonderfully created. We're authentic because Jesus Christ, God himself, wonderfully and fearfully created each one of us and knitted us together while we were yet still in the womb. You don't have to do what the world says to be authentic. You just have to be who God made you. The world will tell you, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do the other. This is what makes you authentic. It does not. God made you authentic to begin with. You're just discovering it. Authenticity, though, does not mean that you don't strive to do better in life. You know the old saying, well, I can't help it, that's just the way I am. Anybody ever heard that said before? Anybody ever said that before? I'm just saying because that's just the way I am. The fact of the matter is that's true to a great degree, but it doesn't let us off the hook to say there are standards and there are practices that we need to, objectives that we need to strive for and live for, even in our authenticity. Let me give you an example. Paul, when he's talking in Philippians, I run this race. I run it not as a sprint, but I run it as a marathon. He said, I run to finish the race. Finish the race. You see, we're all running to finish the race, and sometimes we run like we're sprinting, and the fact of the matter is, it's how we live consistently every day. That, listen, I'm the same up here as I am out there. Good, bad, different, or ugly, that's the way it is. And there are things in my life that I'm constantly working on because it needs to be worked on. Because I'm still flesh. Even though God fearfully and wonderfully created me, the world has also incorporated its corrosion and its stuff in my life as well. So the world is trying to convince me that, that alcohol is good for me, that drugs are good for me, and, and smoking's good for me, and, and all these other things will add value to my life. And buying a car, buying a, if, you, if you bought a Jeep, I'm stuck on Jeeps, but if you bought a Jeep, do you know you'll become a different person? <laughs> it's unbelievable. And if you bought a Lincoln Continental, you're going to be wealthy. If you believe what the world says. But see, Paul says that we're constantly dying to ourselves. I crucify the flesh. See, that speaks to the flesh. But the spirit speaks to the inner growth of man, the heart of man. And it challenges us that we need to do better. 
We need to live more holy. We need to live more consistently, not just in front of our Sunday school, our life group classes, not just in worship in front of the preacher, but in every day of our lives, when we're at home by ourselves, when we're praying and we're seeking God, when we're alone with the Bible is sitting on our desk, do you ever flip it open and see what God may have to say through you to a word? Are you ever praying and ask God to have a revelation to give you an epiphany? Maybe you could be the next Peter. Maybe you could be the next Paul. Maybe you could be the next John the Baptist. Maybe you could be, well, I don't know, he got killed. But they all got killed by the, but maybe we need to be more like Jesus. Because you see, as our picture is constantly being painted as Jesus is going more and more. We're more in the lines and we're tailoring our lives more in the lines and our dogs start looking better every year. How's your dogs? My dogs start, it doesn't mean I'm any more saved than I was to begin with. Doesn't mean I'm any more righteous than I was to begin with. It just means that God can use me in a more fervent way, in a more effective way. I have more impact. I have more validity because now the grace that I speak about is the grace that I live each and every day. And that brings consistency and that brings power and it brings transformation. And it's all because we're willing to say, not my will, but thine be done. Now, I don't know. I don't know where you are. I don't know what background you came from, whether you're a Methodist, a Baptist, a Presbyterian, or Assembly of God. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or you're Gentile. It doesn't matter whether you're non-denomination, and it doesn't matter if you're male or female. You know what matters? It's where your heart lies. And if your heart lies with God, invested with Jesus, and you're loving Him, the possibilities will blow your mind. How you dogs? How you dogs? Maybe you need to submit more to the master and let him draw more in the lines of what he's designed for us all to be. Bow your heads. Father, we love you. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us. Help us. Help us to love you more each day. That we may be like Peter, that we may feed the sheep of God. Being truly authentic to who you've created us to be. Submitting ourselves more to the brush of the master's hand. That we become more and more refined each and every day. To be what you've called us to be. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Forgive us. Give us strength to plow on, to go on. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for joining us. We would love for you to connect with us online. On our website, you'll find up-to-date information about everything happening around here. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please, download our free app on your smartphone or tablet. We are so glad you're here today. We hope you feel at home and we hope you enjoy your Friendship North experience.